Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. If you don't mind taking your Bibles, opening up to Joshua chapter 3, we will be there in a couple of moments. Joshua chapter 3. Several years ago, uh, we were working with a church, and one of the elders there had an expression that he particularly liked to use with me because I had a, a tendency that he didn't particularly care for. And the expression was, Adam, quit outrunning your headlights. And I'll be honest, I'd never heard the expression before he used it, and it took me a while to really figure out that he was absolutely right. I had a real problem with outrunning my headlights. Uh, maybe you've heard of that expression before, maybe you haven't. It's very similar to probably an, an older one, which is, don't get your cart before your horse. You go further than you really probably should go. You are getting things out of order. You are pressing forward with something that you're really not prepared to press forward with. And it's a struggle I've had for many, many years. It is something I still struggle with. And my wife has now adopted that very annoying phrase and says it to me quite often, Adam, quit outrunning your headlights. Because I'm one of those who likes to make plans. I like to really lay everything out. I like to have, you know, it, it's not enough for me to just know my next step. I like to know my next 20 steps, whether I'm going to take my next step or not, just because I like to plan stuff, whether I'm going to follow through with those plans or not. So today's lesson is a little bit hard for me. Because what I want to share with you today is that there are a lot of times when we need to just not make plans and just go where God leads us. And that is extremely difficult for me. There's a lot of times where God, through Scripture, asks us to trust him. From the very beginning, you've got Adam and Eve who are told there is one tree in the middle of the garden that you should not, you cannot eat from it because the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And that had to be kind of a hard thing to really put their brains around because if you look over in Genesis chapter 3, it says the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and desirable for obtaining wisdom, which she learned from both the name of the tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and from the promises of the serpent, and so she ate from it. She was told, don't eat from it, trust me, it's bad. Yet from every indication she had, it looked good, it probably smelt good, there was nothing wrong looking with that fruit. But she was asked to go a different way. A few chapters later, you've got the story of Noah, who's told, I want you to go and gather up some wood and build this massive boat so that you and your family can survive a destruction that is coming that is uh, be before then never been seen and since never been seen. 
that he was going to build a boat and God would take him and some animals on that boat and he would cause them to survive. I don't know that Noah was a boat right, that he had ever built a boat before in his life. We don't even know that Noah had ever even swung a hammer before that moment. But he was told by God, go build a boat. And so he does. Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, is told, get up and go to a land I will show you. Not, hey, here's the GPS coordinates. This is where I want you to go. Not, hey, just head north, and when you've gone so many feet or so many miles or so many days, you'll be where you're supposed to be. He's not given any sort of geographical information. Get up, grab whoever you want to grab, and go to a place that I will at some point reveal to you you are supposed to be. Talk about not being able to make plans. And he did. And while he is there in that land, he is told, I know you're old, and I know your wife is old, but you're going to have children, and those children are going to be so abundant, they're going to have so many that it's going to be like the sands on the seashore or like the stars in the sky, and he had to trust that. He had to trust that God would do what God said he would do. So much so that God even told him, hey, in order to show that you're in this covenant with me, I want you to circumcise yourself and your sons and your male servants. And so God required horrifying obedience in order to get him to do what God would have him to do. Isaac's told to trust while he carries the wood for his own sacrifice. He even says in the story, hey, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's response is, the Lord will provide. And you wonder if he says that with a tear in his eyes, knowing that the Lord had provided the sacrifice, he was walking next to him. How difficult that would be. Jacob's told, trust God. And he does. Joseph has the ups and downs, the roller coaster ride of a life where he's thrown in a pit and he's thrown into prison and he's accused of things he didn't do and yet God pulled him through it. Moses is told to lead a people that would reject him and reject God and, and he does. And then we get to the story in Joshua that I asked you to turn to earlier. Joshua chapter 3. I was listening to a sermon uh, this past week on Joshua. This is not the sermon I actually planned to preach until I heard that sermon and got sidetracked with this one verse. Uh, by the way, I, I've mentioned this before. I'll mention it again. The greatest compliment you can ever tell me at the end of a service is, Adam, I didn't hear a word you said except for this one thing which sent me down this rabbit trail and you won't believe what I've discovered at the end of it. That is the greatest compliment you can ever give me as a preacher. That my preaching wasn't good enough for you, but it brought something to you that was even better. I love that because I love to hear what you've learned. 
And that's what this sermon did to me. He, he was reading these first three verses of Joshua chapter 3, and I went down this rabbit trail based on this passage and a couple of comments that he made. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priest, you are to break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the Ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. It's this phrase right here that really caught my eye. Keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. That's ten football fields lined up end to end. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on a football field. I am fascinated by the amount of accuracy and distance that college quarterbacks, high school quarterbacks, and pro quarterbacks can throw that ball. Because you look at it, and you're like, okay, I'm standing here. They've thrown it 60 yards down, and it lands into a pocket of about this big into a man's hand as he's running, a moving target. And I'm going, it's amazing because I can barely even see the fella much less be able to throw the ball with that kind of accuracy at a moving target. It's hard to see the distance of one football field. God says, I want you to follow at a distance of 10 football fields. 10 football fields. That's well over half a mile's distance that they were to put between themselves and the ark. I find that fascinating, that God didn't want them to see where they were going. He only wanted them to follow. Isn't that the way God works with us sometimes? Isn't that exactly how God wants us to live our lives? It's not about your plan. It's not about what you want. It's not about your accomplishments. It's not about the plan you put in place at the beginning of 2020 or the beginning of 2021. It's not about your life schedule of exactly what job you're going to do and what education you need to have to get there. It's not about how many children you want to have or how you picture your family going to be. It's not about any of your plan. The way God wants you to live your life is what his plan is. So the problem is we tend to outrun our headlights, or at least I do, if, and if you're anything like me, you do the same thing. That's not the real problem. The real problem is that they're not my headlights. I'm not the one shining the way. The problem is not that I get the cart before the horse. The problem is that I think I'm driving the horse. It's not my path. It's not my direction. It's not where I think I should be going. It's that I've got to learn as a child of God that God has the right to 
to direct my path the direction he wants to go. And you see it over and over again through Scripture. You know, David trusted that God was in control the entire time he was on the run for his life. Just this morning, I was listening to a sermon by Ralph Walker about Joseph, and that Joseph, as difficult as his life was, as many ups and downs as there were, is that at the end of his life, when the brothers came, he says, you know what, God put me in this place to preserve life. And when his dad died and his brothers were scared that now Joseph was going to get his vengeance, he says, I am not God. God worked all of this out the way God knew things needed to be worked out. And I wonder how well I'm going to be able to say that at the end of my life. How much of what I have done or not done has been about my goals, my accomplishments, and where I thought I should go versus knowing that I've gone where God wanted me to go knowing that God is the one who has directed my path, knowing that God is the one who has shut doors and opened doors, and was I courageous enough to walk through the right doors? Isaiah trusted that God was the one in control as God called him to be a messenger, a prophet to the people, and God required him to do some weird stuff like spend three years naked. Not on my list of things to do. I know everyone's thankful now. That, that, that's not the way I would have perceived a ministry for God going, that, that God required me to be naked. I, I don't think Jeremiah started off his life in a prominent family, a prominent uh, a priestly family, and... and knowing that he was going to be imprisoned, he was going to be beaten, he was going to be put in stocks, he was going to be imprisoned again, he was going to be left behind as his people were carted off into captivity, he was going to be taken down to Egypt even though he didn't want to go. I don't think Jeremiah planned any of that. I don't think Hosea planned to marry a prostitute. I don't think Daniel planned to be taken into captivity and then risen up in captivity, and I don't think he planned to be thrown to the lions. I don't think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego planned to, to, to be a part of the bonfire. Yet all of these men and many women through history just trusted God to make those decisions for them. And I think this description of how the people had to follow the ark... You know, sometimes we don't know where God's going. We don't know exactly why God's doing what God's doing. We don't understand how this is going to work. I'm sure the people didn't have a clue how in the world they were going to get across the Jordan River. The Jordan River at this point is not an insignificant river. But we find in the story as you read on that when the priest touched their feet into the water, that God started pulling the water back as far as miles upstream so that the water heaped up on each side so that the people could get across and get into their promised land. They didn't have a clue that was going to happen. I don't think they knew exactly how this was going to work. And had they been following the ark closely, like we think they probably did on other occasion, they probably would have had a real trauma of faith when it went to, came to getting to that river. 
But when they're half a mile back and the priests have stepped into the river with that ark and God has started pulling the water back, what they see is a divided river when they get there as if God has rolled out the red carpet and swung open the door and said, come on in. I love that. If we trust in God, if we will do things God's way, if we'll let God decide where we're supposed to go, we have a red carpet and swung open doors. And oftentimes when we pursue our own path, our own ways, our own We find those doors shut, and we're standing there trying to slam against them to get through because they're just not the doors we should be going through. Hebrews chapter 11 makes this probably clearer than any other passage, and it's a chapter we're familiar with, that chapter of all those great people of faith, and it mentions many of the people I've already mentioned today in the sermon. But I love that in every single example, From the very first verse, it says, by faith, they did this thing. By faith, we see that they understood creation happened. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken away. By faith, Noah was was warned uh, to, to go and make that ark. By faith, Abraham did the things he did. Over and over and over again, even when it didn't make sense, They did what they were supposed to do because they believed in the God who was in control. Shouldn't that be us? Shouldn't that be the kind of faith we come to God with? You know, it might not make sense why God asked us to do something a certain way, but by faith we do it. It might not make sense why we're suffering like Joseph did, but by faith we're going to do it. It might not make sense why we're sick, but by faith, we're going to trust God will make his outcome happen. It might not make, make sense why we have cancer when we're so young and have so much left to do, but by faith, God's in control. And if we can remember that, we can remember that things can get better. By faith, we act. Without faith, we fail. That's always 100% true every time. We have to do what we do by faith. Read with me here in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32. What more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophet, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, the raging of fire escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and foreign armies to flight. All of that sounds wonderful. Keep reading. When they're dead, raised to life again, but others were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourging as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. 
You know, there are times when by faith God brings blessings we never would have expected. And there are times by faith we suffer without understanding. But in every case, if we're trusting in God, it works out. Because look at the next couple of verses. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. Hear what the Hebrew writer is saying here. There are times when people by faith have served God and they have received great blessings because of that. You see, like the life of Daniel, Daniel was carted away into captivity, but so was everyone else. You have over 4,000 people carted by Babylon into captivity. So Daniel wasn't alone in that. And Daniel stood up for God, and he stood up for God's standard, and he would represent God to the king. And because of the way he was able to represent God, God blessed him with promotions, and he ended up becoming a, a prominent man in the kingdom both with Nebuchadnezzar and in the Medes and Persian Empire. Great blessings he experienced. There was some tragedy, but yes, there were a lot of blessings. Even in the being thrown in the lion's den, he was protected through the entire thing. But then you come to a story fairly well at the same time, like the story of Jeremiah who served God faithfully, delivered God's message, did so without any sort of uh, blessing attached to it whatsoever. Uh, he, He watched his nation be destroyed by their sin and by punishment. He watched them be carted off. He's left behind. While he is ministering and teaching the people, he is in prison. He is thrown uh, in the pits, he is, he is carted away into Egypt, he's beaten, he's despised and rejected, and there's really no record other than maybe Baruch, his sec- secretary, that he really had any support whatsoever from anyone. So what made Daniel better than Jeremiah? Nothing. They both served God. And they both received the promises that God promises to his people, which is not blessings on earth, but blessings with him. And I think we forget that sometimes. Because I have become convinced, at least in my own experience, that oftentimes what I'm planning when I'm out running my headlights is not planning times of suffering or times of service are times of doing more for others, but it's planning opportunities for myself. Wouldn't you say that's true? What we plan, what we want to really control is how much blessing is coming to us. And what you find in Scripture is that we have no control over that. I'm not saying we can't take steps in order to protect the ones we love, get life insurance, things like that. We're going to talk about wise financial decision-making tonight in our Mark Your Bibles lesson that we'll do as a part of our sermon tonight. I'm not saying that we should be unwise and uncaring and just let, let life happen to us. 
What I'm saying is that we need to learn to trust God as life happens to us. That's something I'm not very good at. But I find we today, we're, we're surrounded, we're encompassed by the unknown. We, we, we really just don't know what's ahead of us. We're, we're not sometimes half a mile from the Ark of the Covenant. I, I feel like sometimes I'm at the back of the group and I'm several miles from the Ark. I don't, I don't have a clue what's happening. We're surrounded by circumstances where, that, that we don't really understand. We're surrounded with the idea of we don't really know what God is doing and why he's doing it and how he's working things out for us. And we don't really understand the spiritual reality that is around us. How we, Yes, we, we see this physical realm, but there's this spiritual realm of events happening around us that we don't see, we don't understand but it doesn't make it any less true. But as we are encompassed by the unknown, we can be comforted by he who is known. We forget that. You read on the next two verses in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We can take comfort in knowing there are plenty who were blessed by God and plenty who, were, who, were, who suffered for God. But let me tell you what you don't ever see. God's people rejected by God. It's what you never see. I'm not saying we don't see Israelites rejected by God. That, that's part of what we've been studying in our Bible classes right now. But when they were acting as God's people, did God ever reject them? No. God takes care of his own. And you see that. And, and not necessarily with physical blessings on this world, but you see God taking care of his people because we still have an inheritance waiting for us. And when you see that, when you see the way God has been faithful through the years by those, uh, to those who have faith, well then it gives us all the more reason to live by faith. You also are comforted by the idea of knowing we have a Jesus, a Lord, a Savior who has gone before us. He has suffered. He has triumphed over sin. He has already run the race that we're running. He is the source of our faith. He is the author of our salvation. He has eliminated sin's hold on us. He has already succeeded. If we'll just keep our eyes on him, the one who is before us, we don't have an ark crossing the Jordan River, do we? That, that's not our circumstance. You know what we have? A Jesus who has crossed the Jordan into home. And if we'll keep our eyes on him, we will see the way home. And that's really what this is all about. We talk about crossing the Jordan, and we use that euphemistically 
or idiomatically probably more appropriately to talk about going into heaven. We sing about crossing the Jordan. It means going to heaven, right? Well, that's the parallel for us. The Israelites were able to, from a distance, follow the ark across the Jordan River into their promised land. We, from a distance, can follow our Savior across the Jordan into the promised land. If we'll just keep our eyes on him. Not look at circumstances, not look at the difficulties of life, not look at injury or sickness or, or poverty or all of the difficult things of life. Also not put our faith when, in life when things go good. I think that's probably a bigger issue we fight in the church today. It's not putting your faith in God when things are difficult, but putting your faith in God when things are good. Because we like to put our faith in things like bank accounts and people. And those things never last. We've got to realize the only thing that is the sure thing for us is to just keep our eyes on Jesus. I want to read a quote to you by a guy named Samuel Rutherford. He said, Duties are ours, events are God's. When our faith goes to meddle with events and to hold account of God's providence, the beginnest to say, How wilt thou do this or that? We lose ground. We have nothing to do there. It is our part to let the Almighty exercise his own office and steer his own helm. There's nothing left for us but to see how we may be approved of him how, and how we roll the weight of our weak souls upon him who is God omnipotent. I love that image, that image of us being on a ship you know, if I'm a sailor on a ship, and it, my job is not to steer the ship. I'm not the one making the decision about where I, where I go. I, I'm not the one controlling the storms that come up, and I'm not the one that controls pretty much anything. You know what my job is as a sailor on the ship? To grab the mop and mop the floor. That, that's it. I have a duty, but I don't control the events. And if we can learn to get that into our feeble minds, that we're not really in charge of our lives, we are merely the ones doing the duties that are required of us, we will do better. Because God's going to take us into a lot of unknown places. He's going to take us into a lot of places we don't understand. We, we, we fail to grasp why. But you know what happens when we ask why? What we're doing is we're telling God, God, I disagree with you. You're going this way. I think we should go this way. Why would you choose to go that way as if God answers to us? I'm going to clue you in on something. He doesn't. He doesn't. God has the right to chart the path and to control the helm and to direct the ship where he wants it to go. We just need to do our job of serving him. And if we'll do that, everything else works out. 
If we'll do that, every, you know, I, God might lead you to some really great places, and he might lead you, lead you to some really dark places. But as we're told over in Psalm 23, he is with us as we walk through the sh- valley of the shadow of death. So we do not fear. It's great to have a Lord who's in control, who's before us, who has walked the Jordan already and has thrown the, the seas open. He's rolled out the red carpet. He's flung open the doors, and he's invited us in. That was a lot of metaphors all in one sentence. I apologize for that. Wowzers. Let me make it real simple. God wants you to serve him. If you're willing to let him be in control of your life, he is willing to steer you to a pretty awesome place called heaven. That begins by becoming a child of God, by having your sins washed away, by being baptized into Christ. It begins by admitting he knows more than you and that he is Lord and you are not. It begins by giving up sin so that you might pursue righteousness. If you need to get your life right by being baptized into Christ, we encourage you to come forward and let us know as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.